everyone and welcome back to What a Barb, a Pollen podcast. I'm Ovs and this week I'm joined by Lecky, Beans and Veg as we continue our rewatch of season one of Bridgerton. How is everyone? How are you doing, America? Veg, how are you doing? I haven't seen you this week. Are we all well? I think we're all pretty good. Yeah. I'm hot. It's hot here. Uh, yeah, it's starting to get hot here. I really have to set up my air conditioner soon. We don't have aircon. That's very awful for you. London's just a bit grim. You're not missing much over here, to be honest. <laughs> a bit inconsistent but the wilderness weeks are taking us all by force i think it's been very quiet but you know i'm sure it'll be even quieter now because of the strike if they were planning to do any promotion and now they want to yeah hold off Pro- and support yeah it's the wilderness weeks at least we had a date but now it feels like the date is in limbo now yeah it's like the date is a sandcastle on a beach and the tide is coming in and you it's know, gonna knock that bitch right down. I feel okay about it because, like, I feel like I've I said a couple months ago that it would be cute if they did hold it back for their anniversary in April. No, no. So no, if no, we, we say I'm April. just saying, I'm it, I, it's a long ways away, but it would be fitting if they had to. And I, we support the writers, we support the actors. But before we get started on this week's episode, let's head over to Lecky for the breaking crumbs of the week. Lucky, what have you got for us? Hello, Barbkin. Today's episode is being released on a very special day. For those who celebrate, today is the anniversary of Pirate Cullen, the day that Pirate Cullen was born, the day he graced our computers and our phones, entered shrines, as well as what I'm assuming is costuming and styling <laughs> halls of fame everywhere. What a holy day. <laughs> yes, more than that. I'm going to get a bit sappy here for a moment, but it's pretty much our What a Barb friend anniversary as well. Oh, lucky stop. <laughs> well, the majority of us were kicking around the Pollen subreddit for a while. Pirate Colin is kind of the day where we were catapulted into a new era of the Pollen fandom and found each other <laughs> in the process. And for that, we will always be grateful. He has given us so much and he continues <laughs> to give us so much. Thank you, Pirate Colin, for your service. Hoist those uh, pirate flags and celebrate. <laughs> for our listeners who happen to be Taylor Swift fans or those interested in potential songs that we might see in season three, Chris Van Dusen shared a very interesting post to his stories where he listed the Taylor Swift songs that he associates with the different Bridgerton couples. And he said these are songs that he tended to play on Luke while writing for those couples. So he chose Wildest Dreams for Safney, Enchanted for Cantony, and Dress for Pollen. I'm sure we'll discuss this more in our upcoming playlist episode, but it'll be interesting to see if this is a song that actually makes it into season three because he included a little side-eye emoji, or if he's maybe hinting at the passion that has already been teased by several members of the cast and crew. You know, as a lifelong Swifty, I can't tell you how exciting it is to hear this confirmation at last. I think Dress has been on all of our Pollen playlists for a really long time, and it's a fan favorite for sure. So I just know that we're on the same wavelength as the showrunner. We love to see it. Some happy news for this week. The hair and makeup artists from season two have been celebrating their nomination for outstanding contribution to period makeup for a television series from the Makeup Artists and Hairstylists Guild Awards. I mean, I'm sure we can all agree that that is very well deserved. You know, the whole hair and makeup team do a pretty astonishing job, really, in creating the world and creating the characters that we love so much. And I know that we can't wait to see what they've got in store for us in the future. So congrats for season two. Yes, definitely. Moving on, Luke Thompson's play A Little Life is finishing its run. So congratulations to the cast and crew. And I was lucky enough to actually catch this. It was a bit of a hot ticket here in London. Um, but I saw it a few months ago and it was genuinely incredible. So kudos to the entire company. For anyone who wasn't able to make it to London to see it in person, I believe a screening of it is going to be released in select cinemas in the UK from the 28th of September. What I would say is that there are 
some very difficult topics that are handled throughout the play. So if you are interested in seeing the production of the play on screen, then I would recommend that you go check out the content warnings, which we will link in our show notes. But it really was just unbelievable performances from everyone. So congratulations, Luke. Luckily, there is also some positive strike news this week. So talks between the AMPTP and SAG and the WGA resumed on Friday. That does not necessarily mean, however, that they will reach a deal, but we can hope for the best and pay your workers. Yeah, simple solution out here. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, While the strike that is currently underway is for workers in the WGA and SAG, I also wanted to take a moment um, this week to share an issue affecting members of IATSE, which is another Hollywood union that represents mostly below-the-line workers. So over a year ago, back in 2022, a group of production coordinators, production managers, and production supervisors, specifically who work within animation, they voted to unionize and join IATSE Local 839, which is the Animation Guild. The problem is that Disney has refused to recognize the request to unionize, which means these workers who unionize because they want living wages and better protections are now being denied union guarantees in terms of income and healthcare, etc. Um, so it's been a year, which is honestly shameful. So we're going to be sharing a petition that Local 839, the Animation Guild, and IATSE have shared to encourage Disney to do the right thing and acknowledge their request to become union workers. Again, such a simple solution. And I can't believe it's been a whole year. That's just... I know, just putting them off for a year. I mean, like, what have you been doing? I'm sure some labor organizer at Disney could sit down with them, but just isn't. Yeah, we'll have that linked in our show notes for anyone who's interested in signing the petition. To delve back into the WGA and SAG strike a bit, So Adam Conover, who is a comedian and writer who actually was part of the WGA's negotiations with the AMPTP, so he actually sat across the table from these people, recently appeared on the Pod Save America podcast. If you're at all interested in the strike, he provided great in-depth explanation for several issues, including one I'd like to talk about today. But just as a brief aside, he also shared a really great personal account on the residuals issue I mentioned last week. So he wrote... um, this show you might have heard of called Adam Ruins Everything that aired on True TV, which is like the super tiny cable channel. His residual check for that show amounted to like $30,000. In comparison, he went on to write a very similar show for Netflix and received just $500 in residuals. So the discrepancy is like huge between cable and um, and streaming. Anyway, so Adam makes some great points on the podcast about the issue of AI. Currently, the term is kind of being used as this like boogeyman when really it encompasses like very different technologies that are affecting all sorts of labor categories in different ways. So like we've touched on before, SAG is concerned about a counterproposal that the AMPTP made where they requested the ability to pay background actors for just one day of work, have their likeness digitally scanned, and then sought approval approval to use their likeness in perpetuity forever without awarding any additional payments to those actors. This is, to everyone I've discussed this issue with, a move straight out of a sci-fi movie about an evil corporation. It's just a topic that I can't even believe. It's awful. (laughs) It's horrendous. Yeah. So first of all, background actresses' livelihoods are on the line. If the SAG caves on just this issue, that career, which has been around pretty much since the beginning of movie making, will basically just vanish. And these workers are not just pros at what they do, they often show up super early on set, receive instructions and learn marks, basically learning the choreography of a scene. But these are the workers who make the world of shows like Bridgerton more real because they are quite literally populating it with people. So do you want to see shows where they're just recycling the image of an actor who was scanned 50 years ago for a different project? I certainly don't. you know, if you've watched 
this show like Bridgerton as many times as we have, you know, this is not our first rewatch personally, then we've really got to recognize the background actors. And I think what's great about Bridgerton is that they have tried to use the same background artists um, on each season to really create that world and make us feel like we're immersed in the ton. Mm -hmm. And if you pay attention to the work they're doing, they're not just filling a gap in the background, they're reacting, they're adding life to it. And I genuinely don't believe that that can just be digitally reproduced forever mm -hmm. and ever. Yes. Um, so I think it's such an important issue. And also, Lecky, correct me if I'm wrong, but this issue doesn't just affect the livelihoods of the background artists themselves, right? I mean, if you take away all of those background artists on a production, you're taking away the, the crew that is needed, like hair, makeup, the costuming, the craft that goes into the costuming, um, crowd assistants who work on set, even things like the caterers who are there every day providing catering for them. All of those roles completely vanish from the industry and from the economy as well. So it's just this issue is completely insane. And and yeah, it definitely needs more attention drawing to it. You're, you're so right. It like connects to so many other different like crafts mm -hmm. and categories too. It's not, not just that that one role of... So where the WGA is concerned, and I found this kind of interesting, their animosity toward AI doesn't stem from a fear that AI will replace their work. They think that AI cannot replace work created by artists who bring their own unique points of view to the material that they're working with, but rather they believe, and I think they're right on this point, that the studios and streamers will use AI as leverage to continue lowering their pay and devaluing their work. So for example, if the studio presents them with a rough draft of a screenplay that was written by something like ChatGPT and asks them to take notes on it or make changes, they could in theory argue that the writer doing that work didn't actually do the writing and pay them far less than they would otherwise be entitled to because the WGA specifically has different rates for things like rewrites. Thanks for that, Lecky. That's really interesting and really important. And we will link all of the articles that you've referenced and the podcast in particular, I think you found really useful this week. Mm -hmm. We'll link all of that in our show notes. To bring up the mood a little bit, here's another little fun fact for you. This week marks 209 years since the Featherington Ball, a glorious occasion for Cantony fans, <laughs> and just another reminder for Pollen fans that to be a Pollen fan is to know pain. Oh, great. Thank you for that wonderful <laughs> reminder. I mean, look, let's look on the bright side. It's 209 years since they had a beautiful dance, mm -hmm. and all was well. And if you end the episode there, it's great. You know, it's actually like a, what a coincidence for for that to be uh, this episode as well. We've got the the proposal and oh, stop it. Stop. Well, if that hasn't enticed you to stick around for this episode, I don't know what will because we're in for a world <laughs> of pain. So let's get started on the rewatch. This week, we'll be jumping into the second half of the season as we break down everything Penn and Colin from season one, episode five, The Duke and I. And as you might recognise, this episode is actually named after Daphne's book. So this has become something of a little tradition in, well, a tradition across two seasons, I suppose. You know, in season two, episode eight, that was named The Viscount Who Loved Me after Kate and Anthony's book. So just before we get started on the episode, a quick question for you all, quick bit of speculation. What episode of season three do you think is going to be called Romancing Mr. Bridgerton? Ooh. The episode where they, where there's boob touching in the carriage. <laughs> Which we think is what, five, six? Yeah. Like four, five, maybe? I agree. I think it might be earlier, like when his confidence boosting lessons start to work on him. Maybe like. Yeah. And he maybe. starts romancing himself. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's what I'm thinking. And also, it, it should be a different episode than we've seen in the previous two seasons. So this one was episode five. five. Oh yeah. Cantony was eight. Right. So I think this one's going to be, well, not one of those, but I think it'll be earlier in the season, maybe three. Yeah. I think this is 
episode four. So we got a three, a four, and a five. Because there's no consistency, really, with which episode they give it to. Yeah. I think I originally agreed with you that it'd be earlier on when with the lessons, but I'm going to be a bit controversial. I'm going to go episode six. Maybe not a seven. I think seven's maybe too late and a bit too dramatic. I'm going to go episode six. Just, you know. Yeah. Just throwing it out there. So there's a little theories. Lady Veg, can you give us an episode summary for this one, please? Dearest gentle listener, Daphne and Simon's engagement is announced. Prince Friedrich gracefully bows out of the race for Daphne's heart, much to the displeasure of the Queen. Madame Delacroix confronts Antony and later runs into Benedict at a party. Lady Featherington and Marina reach a compromise regarding Colin. After their successful appeal to the Queen, Daphne and Simon marry. Colin proposes to Marina, uh oh. Daphne leaves Bridgerton House to begin married life with Thank you for that stunning, stunning performance, Lady Veg. I hope I get nominated for an Emmy for Best Voiceover. <laughs> or when uh, Julie Andrews retires, yeah, they'll hire you. <laughs> Julie Andrews yeah. would weep when she heard. <laughs> <laughs> it was beautiful. Thanks. We're actually going to start this week's episode over at Bridgerton House with Daphne and Violet. So Daphne comes downstairs and tells Violet about her engagement to the Duke. Violet is pretty flustered and also very heavily hungover, but she's trying to assure Daphne that everything is okay. And she says that whatever happened between the two of you, it is all right. When it comes to love, these things happen much more frequently than one might expect. Even your father and I, we had trouble controlling our passions. And this is when Daphne kind of hints that she needs to, to move up the wedding. But because we've seen that portrait of Violet and Edmund, it seems like they might be exploring some parallels between them and Pollen in season three. So I wouldn't be surprised if we have like a similar type of passion with pollen where they're just kind of unable to control themselves around each other and then also i can't wait to see violet's face when yet another child asks for the wedding to be moved up like daphne does here if it happens manifesting (laughs) but yeah i'd love to see it i mean we're gonna have quite the contrast in this uh, episode where colin doesn't have problems with controlling his passions so hopefully the contrast in season three will give us a little scene like this but let's go check out where pen and colin are this episode over at featherington house we've got a very pissed off portia she kind of storms into the room and she announces to archie that madame delacroix has refused to deliver the latest order of all their dresses because they haven't been paying their bills i mean we support businesswomen, you know, go for it, Jen. Gal's got to get paid, hasn't she? Speaking of outfits, this is another sustainable Featherington sighting. We all are a big fan of the recycling scheme that's going Reduce. on. Reduce. Reuse. Recycle. <laughs> Thanks, Beans. Archie suggests they simply reuse the dresses they already have. We love a sustainable king. <laughs> Exciting times. We've got a visitor over at Featherington House. Can anyone guess who it might be? I mean, Penn's going to be thrilled. The bill collector. The crypt keeper. It's none other than... No, it isn't. The de- the bailiff is not the door. It's her true love, Colin Bridgerton. Aww. Sadly for Penn, he's not there to see her. He's there for Marina. So close, so far, Penn. Bitch, how's he looking? Not worth mentioning. He's got the neck thing, but no. You always say this about Colin. Say that <laughs> oh. he's not worth mentioning. All right. Can we have some respect? Sorry. Bitch... This, this, su- this subtle Colin hatred. Don't think okay. don't see it. <laughs> okay, prompt me again and I'll make it okay. Well, so ask me what I think and I'll... I'll... You can include all of this. Oh, okay. No. <laughs> Veg, how's Colin looking? Um, I, I don't really have anything to say, really, you know. <laughs> Colin hater, sorry. Oh, well, sorry. <laughs> he's just like... Uh, well, I feel like the... Um... 
I wrote, I wrote down in my notes that the, the pop of the bright blue uh, cravat and the black patterned waistcoat screams Regency rock star to me, and I couldn't oh. explain why. And then, Beans, were you saying the this is the early sighting of a baby blue column yeah. before it bleeds into the rest of Yeah, that baby blue cravat. Free the neck, babes. Look, Free the neck. We love him. We love him very dearly, but he has never been and probably will never be a fashion icon. But he's doing his best. Actually, I don't mind the outfit. I don't mind the outfit at all. Yeah, same. I feel like he looks like a rock star. I just don't like the baby blue. It's so striking. Ken is going to burn his cravat collection to the ground in season three. And we have another reduce, reuse, recycle moment here. Colin is wearing the same cravat and waistcoat that he wears in episode 103 when Violet is advising uh, Daphne to marry her dearest friend. You know, he's sauntering in, he's doing his best, and Marina kind of jumps up to meet him, and this is the moment where Penn kind of mentally prepares herself to kind of endure this court fest all over again. Colin's very kind of pleased with himself. He comes in with this big bouquet of flowers in his hand. What'd you call it, big? A sizable a bouquet of flowers he's, he's trying he's the third born son he hasn't got the funds for this <laughs> first of all i hate how charming he is in this scene i just hate it and then also colin brings yellow flowers here to marina so that's kind of a slap in the face and it's implied that this is not the first time that he brought her flowers these ones appear to be yellow roses with orange or red lilies and according to an article we found about the language of flowers yellow roses represented jealousy and infidelity during the regency era The jealousy thing is pretty fitting, and it's interesting that Colin also brought some yellow and orange flowers with him. I wonder if there's someone they could have reminded him of, maybe an overripe citrus fruit, perhaps. (laughs) To speak on the yellow, I was doing some reading today, actually, just so I could give our listeners extra insights, and the series one costume designer, Ellen Morozhnik, sorry if I said that wrong, said that that she used yellow to represent um, deception as well. And it kind of represents, Ooh. as Lady, as you put pen and a lot of yellows to represent like her deceitful nature, and also tying back to the Regency era. So, oh my god, I love that! And that's the family color too. So, like all of the mm-hmm. Featheringtons are can be kind fairly of devious. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that she'd actually said that somewhere. I've I've seen people speculate that the yellow is for deception, and on our subreddit even, mm-hmm. but. That's cool. I haven't got a direct quote, but she's, like, referenced in relation to yeah. that. Yep, like, as you mentioned, as you spotted, uh, Colin has been making multiple visits to see Marina in the post-barb world that we're living in. If you look around the room, you can kind of see similar bouquets of flowers that I assume are all from him. And I just think it's really nice that Penn gets to sit there day in, day out, staring at these flowers that aren't for her. He better give her so many flowers in season three, or I'm going to start a riot. It's interesting that Colin says that Marina acts with admirable surprise every single time he gives her flowers. It's like, does some tiny part of him kind of suspect, like the the part that's very deep, deep, deep down with all of his repressed emotions, kind of, does he sense that Marina isn't entirely genuine with her reactions and kind of how she acts around him? I don't know. The framing in the scene is also kind of interesting because it lets us see Colin and Marina from Penelope's point of view. We see the camera placed just over her shoulder at times. You can actually see her shoulder in the frame. And this kind of puts the viewer with Penelope in the scene. And so we're kind of suffering right alongside her as she's forced to watch (laughs) this courtship between (laughs) Colin and Marina unfold. It also amplifies tension as we see how Penelope's anger is kind of steadily building towards her confrontation with Marina. Yeah, you can see that when she starts sort of making the little comments here you know she's he's being super charming but she's 
Can we say cock blocking here? Yeah, go. We've yeah. said worse. <laughs> you know, as soon as he suggests that she bushel of tomatoes, just a joke, Pen. It's not that deep, but there she comes in with. <laughs> Uh, uh, Marina hates tomatoes. I was like, okay, gal, you're not doing yourself any favours, but she's doing her best <laughs> to undercut them both. Okay, I'm obviously being way too mean here. I love Pen, clearly, and I would have done the exact same in that situation, especially as a teenager. I've told you all about my tuba playing first crush. And yes, yeah. tuba boy. Yeah, and when I wanted to get his attention when he was dating my mortal enemy at the time. Oh no. Was she like a clarinetist or something? <laughs> no, she didn't play any musical instrument, and that was oh. a fucking problem, in my opinion. She only played with his heart. I'm revealing my <laughs> yeah. age a little bit, but we would message each other on AIM. We're not that old, beats. <laughs> <laughs> well, the children of today don't know what AIM is. Andrew. And we would message each other on AIM, and... I would tell him how terrible she was and that she doesn't even like musical instruments and doesn't even play in the band. <laughs> so, you know, we all have our moments, especially when we're around people we like. Sometimes we're not like the best at yeah. hiding that jealousy, especially if we don't know how to cope well, which I think Penn is so young. <laughs> she doesn't really know how to cope well with all of these emotions that she's having either. So. so Penelope's away message would be Marina hates tomatoes. <laughs> if she had, if she had, she doesn't aim. even play a musical instrument. <laughs> so I that have a question me. for you guys. Ask away, beans. Do we think that Marina actually likes tomatoes? I think Pen's lying. I think Marina is a tomato lover. Uh, That's my controversial take of the day. I think our dear Pen is acting in the interest of sabotage. And I think she's going to pull any dirty trick she can out of her pocket. And if that oh. includes lying about tomatoes, so be it. I don't think Penelope would lie about this particular fact in front of Colin. Honest to the bone, Penelope, generally, but especially in this scene. Yeah, like you say, she's doing everything she can. She's pulling a beans. She's trying to undercut the two of them at every single turn. And she says, do you know, I've heard that you can get excellent tomatoes. Grease. Good knowledge from Pen because tomatoes only arrived in Greece in like the 1810s, so they're very hot off the press. And she's already knows exactly where to get her produce. As a veg, I appreciate this. Do you, do you think that Penelope has been reading books about Greece to talk to Colin about his travels? I can prove this. I can't prove it, but I can substantiate it with canon. Okay, I think absolutely she did because she does that in Romancing Mr. Bridgerton. Mm-hmm. And if you remember at the beginning of Romancing Mr. Bridgerton, she thought that he'd gone to Greece. Mm-hmm. He'd actually gone to Cyprus because the Greek War of Independence was kind of causing issues. And at the very beginning, when Colin comes back into town, she hides her little book about Greece. So she's been reading up on it and she has, like, she's been doing a little research. And then Eloise comes over and tells her, oh, he's just come back from Cyprus. And she's like, oh, shit, what a waste of time all that Greece research was. But she, yeah. so she had been so that when he got back into town, she could talk about it. Yeah. And I'm 100% convinced that the second he was like, I'm going to go to Greece. She diligently was reading up on it so they could have like little conversations. Yeah. 100%. Also, just to point out, that means that Book Colin is not a war tourist, unlike show Colin. No, no. Book Colin avoided the war, bless his little heart. He went to Cyprus instead. In the scene, Pen, kind of like in the Whatabarb scene, she also sets in motion events that she could not have anticipated, namely the idea that Colin should travel, and specifically to Greece. Colin does look a bit, I'd say, frustrated with Penelope here, you know. He's too polite to say it, but yeah, it's not a great week for us as Pollen fans, I think. <laughs> if anything, he's sick of Pen even, and you don't want that. 
I think he's exasperated by her cleverness, you know? He already knows that she's mm-hmm. fairly clever, and he's like, why can't you just, like, I don't know, be chill for five seconds, girl? Just chill out. He's like, not the time, not the place. <laughs> yeah. I know that Penn's blue-balling him now, but he'll be blue-balling himself plenty in season three. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Marina also looks kind of pissed off with Penn interfering, but she's a bit confused because remember, at this point, she still hasn't figured out why Penn is so resistant to being courted by Colin. There's also the, an interesting exchange. I am uncertain of my travels at the moment, Penn, but you were so keen to travel. It is true, but were I to go there, maybe things in London I should miss even more than seeing the world. He says this with such a charming smile. Hate, hate. Um, but yeah, let's hope this comes back to bite Colin after he goes off after season two, realizing there is something back home he misses yeah. very dearly. Too late, mate. Too late. And not to skip too much ahead to the next episode, but Colin will end up saying that Marina is the only person in the world who takes him seriously. But here, we've got pretty much solid proof that Penn has actually been taking his dreams seriously. More seriously than he's been taking it, because, you know, he's always wanted to travel, and yet he drops his plans at the first sight of, you know, a pretty girl. So I'll just say his tickled pickle is speaking louder than his heart. (laughs) No. But I think in this moment, like Veg said, he's just being a little bit too charming to the wrong person. Thankfully, Lady Featherington is going to pull this painful scene to an end for all of us and ask if Colin would like some tea. There's probably biscuits involved with tea, so he's all for it. And Colin and Marina kind of walk into the middle of the room. But Penn follows Portia back to the doorway and she asks Portia if it's wise for Marina to continue courting Colin. Penn is saying she's only speaking out of concern about wasting Marina's time. And, you know, we completely believe you, Penn. And that Colin is really young and surely he won't be considering marriage anytime soon. A bit wrong there, bless you, Penn. But, you know, you you tried. Portia doesn't kind of reply to Penn, but it's quite interesting because you can see that Penelope's words have given her something to think mm-hmm. about. Um, yeah. We don't often see scenes like this where kind of Portia is is taking Penn seriously. Usually she's been quite dismissive of Penn. Um, but here, Portia kind of actually listens to her and places value on what she's mm-hmm. saying. She's very subtly trying to manipulate the situation. She can't do it herself by confronting Colin at this point. So she's trying to go through her mum a bit to see if she can make headway there. But, you know, Portia walks away thinking about everything and the scene ends with Penn glancing back over at Colin and Marina uneasily. All is not well. It's all going to get a lot worse later that night when Portia goes into Marina's room. She informs Marina that she's going to have to accept the proposal by Lord Rutledge. He's going to come over on Saturday and that's it. Marina is still resisting Portia. Portia interestingly ends up asking if her stubbornness is coming from, you know, a certain Mr Bridgerton. Marina insists that Colin does like her and she's very, very certain that he is going to propose. And she's not exactly wrong with her read of Colin, is she? Portia kind of brings up his age again, this kind of recurring theme, and she counters that the boy's barely out of leading strings. And she even threatens to lock Marina in her room if she doesn't stop her courtship of Colin. So Portia is not on the Mullen train here. No, and she is reacting directly from the conversation we've just talked about of when Penelope is suggesting he's a bit too young like that has played in the back of her mind as she's brought that up so mm-hmm. but yeah Colin's youth is brought up a lot and we've seen that in the costumes as well so that is definitely a big 
factor here, I think. Yeah, and like you say, Penn's clearly got through to, to Portia a little bit. Mm. And it works really well for a very brief time because this is where, during this scene, we see a real turn in the storyline begin. Because this is where Marina, as we mentioned in the first episode, decides to weaponize sex in order to find a husband. And she also manipulates Portia. She's about to out-scheme the queen of scheming and, in a way, Penelope herself. She knows Portia will do anything for her girls and that she cares a lot about their social standing. So she kind of highlights how much their connection to the Bridgertons would benefit their lives here. Yeah, she says, to, in order to repay uh, the kindness of the Featherington, she says, if I were to marry Mr. Bridgerton, you would be connected to what I gather is a very powerful family indeed. Think about what that could do for your girls. Marina's pulled out a trump card. You know, up until now, Marina's resisted going along with Portia's plans. But this is the first time that we see Marina take control over Portia and manipulate Portia herself into going along with her plan. Both Penn and Marina have been able to twist Portia's opinion this episode, which feels kind of rare. It's usually Portia who's doing the manipulating. So it's quite interesting to see her caught in the middle of that. But ultimately what wins is that Marina exploits Portia's probably ultimate weak spot, which is, you know, her ambition for social security and social elevation, not just for herself, but for her girls. And, you know, Marina has shown that she really does have a pretty good read of other people around her. I think she's always had Colin pinned down perfectly. Something that I think we see in season two when Marina comes back. You know, it's a brutal assessment that she has of him, but I think there's Mm -hmm. a lot of truth in how she sees him. And she's the same here with Portia, you know. And also that line that we were just talking about shows that Marina does know full well that there are other benefits to marrying into the Bridgerton family. But there's just a tiny, tiny flaw in the plan that even if Colin did propose, the wedding normally wouldn't take place for weeks and weeks. And Lecky, what do they say to each other? So Marina says, that is only assuming we wait until the wedding night to consummate the union. And and Portia kind of surprises, you will seduce him. And she says, I will do what I must. This is where it takes a turn. Yeah, definitely. And, like, just to, like, highlight again, Marina is backed into a corner in this situation. I do feel Mm -hmm. like if Portia hadn't sort of forced her hand, that Marina may have made another decision or something that. But it really is, when we're looking at a young woman who is pregnant in this time era, she's trying to find the best for her children and for herself. I just want to like remind everyone that while what she did is heartbreaking for us as Pollen fans, it's also we have to realize that this is something that she was literally forced to do. She's incredibly young. I think that she was just in a really difficult situation and was just trying to do what was going to be best for her and her family. Beans, I definitely agree that she's been in a difficult position throughout the season. And let's be real, the real villain in all of this is a society that they're living in. Also, I think it gets overlooked that Sir George bears a responsibility for this hugely by not making sure she was taken care of before he went away to war. And as we see here, Marina does have another option in front of her in the form of Rutledge. And for many reasons, valid reasons too, she wants to avoid that fate. And one of those is that Colin is still in her orbit and, you know, he's nicer, younger, richer, better connected. He'll treat her better. And so she comes up with this plan to seduce him and put him in a position where he has no choice but to marry her. She's using Colin's emotions for her and nature against him in a very premeditated way. And I really don't think he deserves that. I understand why she's walking this path, but to see the trap that she's setting up for him is completely gutting. You know, Colin can be naive and impulsive. We've seen that, but I hate watching that aspect of his personality and his commitment to doing the right thing be used against him in this way. And, you know, maybe Marina believes that Colin loves her, but I don't think so. I think she knows even here it's infatuation, but she definitely knows she doesn't love him. And 
to put him in a marriage like that when she knows that the family value true love feels particularly difficult. He'd figure it out eventually as well. That's the thing. You know, he would still stand by her, but at what personal and emotional cost to him? And also within society, he'd be viewed either as a fool or as someone who goes around compromising young debutantes. I think of everyone who doesn't deserve this situation, it's him. And I think he's the collateral damage that often gets overlooked in this entire situation. She also wasted a lot of time waiting for, well, presuming that that George was still alive. She wasted a lot of time hoping that he would return, that she could have spent courting other people. Yeah. Um, But it is a really dark moment where everything from this point on is really going to shift because as we kind of leave that bedroom, we find out that Penn has been listening to the entire conversation. Lady Whistledown wishing her skills weren't quite as good, I guess, at that moment. Um, And Penn is kind of behind the door and she looks absolutely sick and horrified by everything. I wonder if she has a full understanding of it, because just a few episodes ago, she didn't even know what sex really was. So It's almost worse that she doesn't know exactly what it means, because then she imagines the worst. Mm. Oh, a little tiny throwback, but clearly she does know the idea of passing off a child to someone else's, because if we go back to our beloved Barb scene, Colin and Penelope were discussing the fact that... Joking about it. Yeah, that the footman's child was pretending to be a lord. If she's listening to gossip all the time, she clearly has heard people talk about sex. So was Mm -hmm. perhaps her conversation about sex and trying to figure it out last episode just a ruse? I think she has a bit of an idea that's layered innuendo. Yeah. But I don't think that the innuendo translates into mechanics. So yeah, she's listening in, but she's looking pretty great doing it, in my opinion. Um, (laughs) Yeah, she's wearing a Mm -hmm. sort of dusty pink dressing gown thing. And she's got her hair tied, which I guess I'm not sure entirely, but I think silks help kind of with your curls. She's heartbreaking, but cute. And that's how we love her. You know, it's all going to shit with the Featheringtons, but congratulations are in order over with the Ridgetons because Safney finally get their wedding. Colin's there, he's having a lovely time. I think we remember that Luke Newton once said that Colin gets very emotional at weddings. And if we do get a Colin wedding in season three, I want the boy to be sobbing his little heart out. One of my favourite moments at the wedding is Colin gets so wrapped up watching his sister get married, walking down the aisle, that Benedict has to like whack him with his elbow to get him to sit down. (laughs) And whilst it's very endearing to see him get swept up in the romance of the day, it's going to backfire on us all just splendidly as we make it back to Bridgen House for the wedding reception. Let's jump over. We're going to join Penn and Marina at the reception itself. Penn is busy kind of pointing out other potential suitors for her cousin. She's trying her absolute hardest to push Marina towards anybody that isn't Colin. And there's like a little montage of her picking people out and Penn is now kind of trying what she can to throw at it to stop this. And God, this is not a good look for her. She's wearing yellow again, some pink flowers on it, but yeah, yellow, big feather in her hair, which (laughs) really not a great look to be losing your Actually, I don't mind this dress, I'll be honest. What? (laughs) I just, I'm a stickler for like good craft and like the way that they've sewn everything onto the dress is absolutely gorgeous. I okay, I will agree with you that the dress isn't bad. It's the the other accessories. She's just not having a great time at all. Marina is kind of completely perplexed by what Penn's doing because it seems to come out so out of left field. Because she's like, we don't have time for this. You know I don't have time to meet someone new. What are you even talking about? 
Marina impatiently asks, now where is Colin? And this is the moment where Penelope finally starts to break. And she turns to her cousin and she just kind of lays it out. She kind of drops the act and just says, you can choose anyone but him. He's my friend, Marina. I've known him forever. And I do not want him to be tricked and deceived into a lifelong commitment. You must not do this to a good man. And she's not going as far as admitting her love for Colin. And, you know, she never actually goes as far as admitting her love to Colin for, to anybody. But this is definitely the most honest she's been about her motivations for derailing the plan. Um, But it's come far too late. It doesn't work. Do you think that had Penelope told Marina a lot earlier about her feelings or even alluded to, you know, maybe not being in love, but being close friends, that it would have kept Marina away? I think it depends. It would have needed to be before this, even if she was fully honest about her feelings now. I think Marina is sort of stuck. As she said, she literally doesn't have time to caught someone else right yeah i think i mentioned it in the first episode when we were watching the original courtship before penelope knew about the pregnancy i think we said that penelope was kind of resigned to letting it happen like she wasn't trying to sabotage their relationship it she wasn't happy about it and i'm sure she would have been very jealous and upset but the reason she's trying now to sabotage is because of like the stakes have been raised and now Colin is going to be tricked into something. Yeah. But, you know, the final piece still hasn't quite clicked into place for Marina. So she's still a bit exasperated by her cousin. Marina's perspective is that there aren't any alternatives. You know, it's, it's do you want, and it's like she says, she makes a good point. Should yeah. I entrap a bad man then? It's like, that's well, not a much better solution. Uh, I would say entrapping a bad man is a much better solution. Entrapping a bad man would definitely be better than entrapping a good man is but not morally marina's got to live with it though very true i think the key thing is right i think that penelope isn't coming from a moral perspective i mean she is a little bit but if it was anyone but colin i don't think she'd really have too much of a problem with it i think pen is no angel pen understands the the moral decisions you have to make sometimes as a woman in their world marina promises she's gonna be a good wife to colin and he will be a good husband and father However young and well-liked by you who may be, she says. To piggyback on that, um, at the end of the last episode, Lady Whistledown says, why settle for a duke when you can have a prince? And that kind Mm. of plays a role in in this storyline as well, where Marina's trying to get the best option available. And I feel like normally Penn would be very supportive of that. It's just that it's not that it's Colin, but that she's trying to deceive Colin in this kind of awful way. But... In the words of Monty Python, always look on the bright side of life. Um, so, <laughs> Is there a bright side to be found in this? <laughs> yes. So let's try to look at some of the positives here. So in this conversation, Penn states that she has known Colin forever. Um, this mm. coupled with what Luke said at last year's To Doom, where he indicated that Colin can't see Penelope as his true love because, quote, they met when they were so young, means we could have flashbacks potentially of baby Colin in season oh. three instead of having them meet in their teens and early 20s. Because in the book, mm. they meet when Colin is 21 and Penelope is almost 16. I am living for baby Colin flashbacks. Same. So want in the world but before Penn can protest anymore Portia storms over and angrily tells Marina that Lord Rutledge is no longer available let's have a moment's silence for the poor person who's ended up with him (laughs) but now for Marina it's Colin or nothing Marina's pretty thrilled about the situation and she decides to put a plan straight into action she spots Colin through the crowd who's happily chatting with guests and makes a beeline straightforward sorry Edmund no pun intended there (laughs) 
Pen is watching this unfold, she kind of gets a bit distracted and she turns and she crashes into Eloise. We know how Pen has a talent for having issues with both of her beloved Bridgertons at the same time. And they awkwardly have this moment with Eloise where the two haven't made up from last episode's fight mm-hmm. and they l- kind of look at each other, they, don't, they kind of make excuses and they head their separate ways. So we've not got any joy on that front either. Just as an aside for fans of the the book and Lady Danbury in general, there's also a quick moment during the reception here where Eloise accuses Lady Danbury of being Lady Whistledown. And Lady Danbury is both Mm -hmm. amused and flattered by the accusation and seems to think kind of favorably of Lady Whistledown. She says that everyone enjoys secrets or they wouldn't read Whistledown in the first place. Oh, it's a tiny little bit of Lady Danbury maybe being threaded in there with Lady Whistledown. Yeah, I do hope we get that in series three, actually. Yeah, just to make sure Penn doesn't get a break, camera pans around and shows Marina and Colin. And like the tomato scene, we've got this view from Penn's perspective as well as they sort of walk away. That's right, yeah. Um, In 103, Penelope has this moment where she laughs when Cressida does the swoon when she's trying to capture the prince's attention. And here, Marina basically employs a very similar trick to successfully gain Colin's Mm. attention, which is kind of a bummer. But Marina basically pretends to feel faint and asks if Colin knows if there's somewhere private they can go and she knows him well because we all know he'll jump at the opportunity to sweep in and be a hero so hero Colin is activated and he happily escorts her away to a private room and Penn luckily for them Penn is the only person to notice them wandering off and Penn doesn't know exactly what was meant earlier when they were talking about seducing and consummating but she knows it's bad and she knows that this is kind of when Marina is going to start putting the plan into action and she has this completely murderous look on her face but she's powerless really to do anything but what them go. We're going to follow Colin. It's going to be a rough ride. Is everyone mentally prepared for the scene that is ahead of us? Crickets and some tumbleweeds rolling past the Royal Crescent and Bath is kind of what comes to mind when the scene starts to play. Just a lot of sighs. So let's go into this scene. Colin leads Marina into Anthony's study, and you know, after prompting from Marina, he closes the door behind us. And how does he not? understand the basic rules of propriety here you know we've seen colin break the rules a few a lot with pen right but sometimes we act like he's only ever blind to it when penelope's involved but i don't understand why he thinks it's okay to take marina into a private room in this scene he's shocked by what happens next it's so strange i don't know if he just got so caught up in like she needs me to help her. It's the naivety i think that characterizes a lot of this scene and which is why i find it so uncomfortable to watch. I don't feel uncomfortable in the scene because of anything Marina does. I feel uncomfortable entirely because of Colin. (laughs) And Marina is trying to enact her plan, so she points out very flirtatiously that they shouldn't be alone. And Colin agrees that they shouldn't. And he, like, steps towards her, and I hate it. I hate his face here. He looks like Oh, it's really hard to read his expression, but he looks kind of like he's a teenage boy, sort of just Mm realising that he's horny, and he's like, oh my god, you know. (laughs) He looks a bit worried, but he looks a bit into it, and he looks a bit, oh, I don't know. It's a weird moment. He's, like, into it, but completely out of his depth. Yeah. And Marina steps towards him, and this is where he looks completely like a deer caught in the headlights. Um, He has no clue how to handle the situation he's suddenly found himself in. And he kind of steps towards her, and he, like, does, like, a gulp, or he, like, takes this weird breath. And fun fact, one of the only... Colin gifts in the entire world is at that moment when he does his weird little gulp and it's such a cruel fate because of all the bloody moments that they could get captured forever um so if you're interested you can find this exact moment on Giphy by typing gulp if you ever feel like a panicked Colin is uh is relevant to your life situation which I hope it never is 
And it's the longest seconds of our entire lives. This is this moment where the pair lean in to kiss each other. Marina's all in. She's like, she's going for it. And Colin is the most awkward human to ever have existed, I think. He kind of looks like he's about to cry. (laughs) Um, And... You know, he, he looks like he's forgotten how to interact with any other human being. Um, I know the question of his virginity comes up a lot in this fandom, but do we think that he's ever kissed anyone before? Because it seems like he never has. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. If he has, it's like a little peck. That's, that's pretty much all. It's never been like a charge moment in a locked room. Yeah, he's maybe kissed his hand a couple of times. Huh. <laughs> nice, classic. We all did it. Yeah, he can flirt with half of London, but he, he's got no chance in this moment. And, you know, he backs out. He he gets stage fright and he pulls away at the last second. Marina is really kind of frustrated by this because she was so close. And he says, I can hardly believe I'm saying this, but we cannot go further. A whole kiss. Careful, Colin. You're a lady and I must maintain your honour and mine, no matter how... There's a weird pause. I know. Tempting. Otherwise, I have to say, Luke Newton plays this so, so well. So yeah. well. It's yeah. just... It's brilliant. I think there is a purpose this that we'll talk about in a second. Colin's out there making excuses about, oh, have to protect your honour and propriety. But I think we all know that he just couldn't go through with it and got Uh, a bit too scared. Series two of Bridgerton, like the one that made me start going feral, to be honest. I questioned my (laughs) whole relationship because it was so damn hot, that series. But like we've seen like in the rules of real life apply in the canon of Bridgerton. Like if it was that tempting, he he wouldn't have been able to stop himself and that's what we're looking forward to in series three but like you know he couldn't have been Mm -hmm. that into it he would have like Anthony did with Kate exactly yeah definitely yeah that's a good contrast because you know he's like Anthony and Kate he's trying to pull himself but he can't Mm because when you have a love like that it's magnetic isn't it and and the whole point, I think what we love about Regency romances is that those rules and structures exist and the beauty is that we see two people fall in love who the structures aren't like the structures can't stop the power of their love and we love to see them transgressing all the boundaries but marina it's interesting because she has this point where she actually realizes that he is a gentleman and that her plan to seduce him is kind of a lost cause at that point and she kind of gives up on the thing she starts to leave the room drops the whole kind of energy that she's been carrying and just goes and i assume in her head she's like this isn't gonna work he's too straight-laced i'm gonna have to go do something else but we all know what Colin's like when he's worried that he's upset someone. He has a tendency, we're going to see it in season three, when he realises he's upset Pen, that when he thinks someone's upset with him or he feels guilty, he comes up with one of his splendid plans to make everything okay. Veg, what's his splendid plan for the week? When in doubt, propose it out. <laughs> <laughs> and the next obvious step is clearly asking her to marry him. <laughs> Yeah, like you say, Veg, he says, then marry me. (laughs) I know we have only known each other a short while. I would be delighted to marry you. She's so relieved. She's having a great day. Yeah, because she had to, she didn't have to do anything. This is like hero Colin. He just wants to make, not make her feel better, but he can tell that she's kind of disappointed. And he's like, how do I resolve this situation? Marina wanted this interaction. It's not proper unless we're married. I know I'll propose. Yeah, I'll go like a bit of time without watching this scene and my brain will sort of be like, oh, his hero Colin, he wanted to like rescue Mm -hmm. her from the Featherington situation. Mm -hmm. But it's not even that. It's just like in this particular moment, she wanted to kiss me and she couldn't. How can she kiss me if we're married? Like, come on, Colin, you're 
And I think he was like upset. He was worried that he'd offended her yeah. by backing out. And he was like, I'm so sorry that I hurt your feelings. Let's get married instead. <laughs> no, he's sometimes referred in the fandom as Colin Chaotic Proposals Only, Bridgerton. A bit of AO3 tags for you to go mm. explore. And also obviously because of, you know, the carriage proposal that we get, very chaotic. But this is not how we wanted that trait adapted in the show. And it's just his logic. What kind of passion overwhelms him to the point that he can resist a kiss, but can't resist a proposal? And I think a lot to do with it is as well the fact that he's at wedding. I think he watched his sister get married and it put a little cute seed in his head where he was like, oh, isn't marriage so romantic and wonderful? All season he's been caught up in what book Colin would describe as the love as a thunderbolt. Do you think that he really thinks that this is love and this is how you act in love? Like the next step is to propose and get married. Or is he just performing the idea of love instead of actually feeling it within his soul? And again, he's just like, this is what you do if you're in love. This is the next step that you take. Yeah, I think it's something like that. I think he's trying to be a romantic hero by proposing marriage here. Yeah, he's he's acting that role, isn't he, of, of stepping in. Just to remind you all, Colin met Marina in episode one. They danced together once. He visited her a couple of times, usually when other men were around. He didn't see her in episode two or three. They danced together in episode four and he courted and proposed to her in episode five. Chaotic Colin, hello, hello. Uh, We're all enjoying you. Thank you for this gift. This tracks with the romancing Mr. Bridgerton arc as well. Hyped up timeline. Yeah, where it happens in like two weeks. Mm -hmm. It's just with the wrong girl here. So, you know, Marina says she's delighted to marry him and Colin declares, what are we waiting for? But they're not on the same page because Marina wants a a shotgun wedding and Colin thinks a long engagement is simply romantic. I can't wait to see if he thinks that a long engagement is simply romantic when it's Penn that's on the card, His book counterpart couldn't bear to wait a month to marry her. So we're going to see if this backfires on him again in season three. Speaking of which, those of you who haven't read the books, you actually might not have realised that the entire storyline that happens in this season and beyond of Colin, Penn and Marina was completely made up for the show. So it just doesn't exist in the books in this form. The characters do, but it's completely different. And it always breaks my heart, this scene, because one of my favourite book Colin moments takes place in When He Was Wicked. I think most of us have read it. There's this moment where Colin is talking to Michael Sterling about marriage and Michael asks Colin, and how many times have you proposed marriage? And Colin really casually replies, just once, actually, this afternoon, as a matter of fact, um, because yet yeah, this scene happens just after he's proposed to Penn. Uh, well, declared that they're going to get married, I suppose, is more accurate. It's such a nice moment in the books because Colin's really proud of himself and he's really happy. And it's like he only ever proposed once and it was to the person he loved. And it's my villain origin story that he'll never get a moment like this in the show because it's always going to be overshadowed by the fact that he was engaged to Marina before. But what can you do? But Colin very casually remembers it's actually sister's wedding day. So he decides they need to keep the engagement quiet for a time being. So he opens his door and the two walk through without kissing or embracing. And I just, I'm personally overwhelmed by the passion that's on display from uh, from Colin here. So to look on the bright side again. There there is no bright side. (laughs) Come on, like. There there is a little bit. The way the situation with Marina plays out could make season three more meaningful. We kind of touched on this earlier, but here Colin can't bring himself to kiss Marina, which will just make it more satisfying when he's presumably unable to resist Penn and does get physical with her probably before marriage in season three. Um, In this Mm -hmm. scene, Colin also says that the idea of a season-long engagement sounds quote romantic to him so i'm guessing mm-hmm. we'll get and i'm really hoping for a hasty wedding so everyone please try to manifest the scene where colin in the book tells <gasps> portion violet that they need manifest to move up it. the wedding because we need it <laughs> and it's why i really appreciate luke newton's performance in scenes like this because i think there's a lot of layering of 
of Luke has to kind of sit with his character, play Colin very faithfully in this moment, a Colin mm-hmm. that genuinely thinks that he's in love in some sort of format or yeah. wants to perform that role. He needs to convincingly convey that character trait whilst also knowing that his character is going to act so differently when it actually comes to being truly in love. The contrast is going to be really satisfying to see. Restrained Colin being very polite and dutiful versus absolutely unhinged Colin. Yes, for sure. And I think Colin will need that too. When he realises in love with Penn, he knows it's true because he's completely, completely different. Also, if it helps any Pollen fan get through this scene in the future, I recall that Ruby Barker said that Luke Newton liked to make fart noises on set. And the (laughs) clip they posted with this interview on Instagram was this particular scene. So that could have been happening just before the proposal and we will take it. So it takes the pain out of it. It takes the pain. To bring the pain back very, very quickly though, I just want to point out that from Penn's perspective, Marina goes into that room with Colin with a plan to seduce him. She comes out engaged to Colin. So what does she think went down in there? They were uh, playing with their sticks in a farm and eating cake. (laughs) And because of this, I really hope they include a scene in season three where he clarifies that nothing actually happened with Marina. I wonder, Penn got so swept away in the final episode of season two. Do you know when Colin pulled her into that room and shut the doors behind him? The last time that happened, someone got a proposal out of it. You're so right. Like she walks into the room and she releases this breath and she smiles. And then Colin Mm. just like barrels past her and (laughs) launches into, speech whatever yeah she's like this is it getting ready (laughs) there's just no gemstone mines in georgia apparently the reason i struggle with it so much you know this proposal scene is that we're really watching colin's nimble head first into the scheme and we know this entire situation comes to haunt him and damage him and we know how long it takes him to really shake off what happened and for all we've just joked about how he came up with this brilliant idea to get engaged and you know what was possibly going through his head I do think it's worth reiterating and we'll discuss this more in the next episode that he really has been placed in an artificial situation here. You know, he might have decided to propose in the moment, but getting into this room to, you know, where we've just talked about how uncomfortable and out of his depth he was, it just is another way that he he is being manipulated and having his sense of judgment skewed in this whole scheme. Oh, Colin, what are we going to do with you? Wedding's over. The Bridgertons are all piling out of their house to wave goodbye to Daphne and Simon. They're off to start their new happy honeymoon together. I'm sure that'll go brilliantly for the two of them. And I'm going to mention this very, very briefly because this scene, it obviously is where all the family pile out together. They're all waving goodbye to a sister who's just been married off. Beans, my darling beans, my crumbs queen beans. Yeah. Does this remind you of anything? Yeah, so they filmed at Ranger House again. We suspect and believe that Francesca gets married in this season and everybody was gathered together like waving goodbye to her. You can see Colin and Penn together with the rest of the Bridgerton family so. It's like the blurriest picture and it makes me so happy like it just fills me with comfort and joy. It's happily married Pollen even though you can just see the very tip tippy toppy of Penn's head. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I didn't. I, which filming leaks are these? I don't think I've seen these. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't been listening to our podcast from the beginning, it was Ovs who took those photos. I was on a bus. I just happened to see them. <laughs> and we'll probably go into further detail about those experiences in another episode. But, you know, they all go. We get this nice shot of the Bridgertons, and Colin is just happily standing there, secretly engaged, his family and none the wiser. What a perfect way to end this joyous episode.
how are we feeling? Whoa, exhausted. <laughs> I think it's a pretty stressful episode, right? If you're a Safni fan, great times ahead. Yeah. But for us, it's been one of suffering. Are there great times ahead for Safni fans? I don't know. I feel like they're going to struggle a little bit. No, they've had a cute little wedding. They've had a cute wedding. But, but yeah, so let's process our thoughts by heading over to Lek. Have you got a whistle up? I mean, I'd love to know what your whistle up is. I, I don't know if you would consider this an up, but we'll take what we can get. Colin doesn't kiss Marina. So I feel like in the minds of many Pollen fans, this scene essentially reads, Interior, Bridgerton study, day, Colin does not kiss Marina. So that's your whistle up for this week. Controversial, but I think it'd have been less awkward if they had kissed. <laughs> I'm not wishing that, but it's just so, it's such an awkward scene. Lucky, is there a whistle down for this episode? Yeah, so it's Violet being unable to give the birds and bees talk due to past trauma uh, with Daphne. No, I'm just kidding. It's it's what? the proposal. In the in my original notes for this scene, I just wrote pain. Um, pain. So pain. overall, how are we feeling about the episode? Let's go by our beloved bow rating. Is this the worst? I don't know. It might be. Is this our low point? There's no Penelope's lightness either. Yep. They have that tiny moment at the wedding. They can't bear to speak to each other. So we don't even get the respite of, of their friendship. Like Pen is on her own. Yeah. And it's just spiralled from worse to worse. Colin yep. has a nice time at a wedding maybe, but... 12 out of 12 bows. I'm going to give it 11 purely because he looks very sweet at the wedding and he nope, clearly enjoys I'm it. I'm with Veg. It's 12 out of 12 bows. Reminder, we consider more bows to be worse, but yeah. 12 bows. I give it a 7. A seven? <laughs> really? <laughs> What's the redeeming factor oh here? Gosh. I feel like I rate this a little bit different from you guys, whereas, like, okay. I love... Are you seeing it as, like, a black comedy or something, or...? No, I, I think of it as, like, this was sort of inevitable for us to get a meteor plot for Penn and mm-hmm. Colin, and so I just love the drama of it all. <laughs> You Americans won't get this, will you? But Veg is like, you know, Gavin and Stacey, where Pam's just like, it's just the drama, Mick. I just love the drama. Oh, it's the drama, Mick. I love yeah, it. I do know Gavin and Stacey. This Shondaland are having the time of their lives. 100%. Okay, well, Bean's a bit controversial there. Thank you very much for uh, cheering us all up there. Yeah. And that brings us to the end of things just wanted to say thank you to all of the listeners and the continued support for our episodes i feel like we're like just finding our footing now and getting used to doing this whole thing but we everyone sends such lovely messages and we get such lovely feedback and again we're always 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 open to feedback and yeah so thank you guys for listening we're just a group of pollen fans whiling away the coming weeks the coming months like we want to spiral with you guys so send us a dm yeah we've gotten a lot of messages recently from people saying that like you know they don't have any pollen friends and yeah we'll be your pollen friends we're always open to talking about pollen you can message us together we spend a significant amount of our lives talking about pollen not just on this podcast so don't worry pollen and other bridgerton theories yeah yeah Yeah, for sure but yeah we love having you and if you want to chat more with us lucky where can everyone find us you can find us at whatabarpod on instagram and tiktok and we're also on the subreddit reddit.com forward slash r forward slash Pollen Bridgerton, where there's lots of posts from lots of different fans, not just us. And we'll see you next week when we'll be breaking down another very dramatic episode, 106 Swish. Swish, swish, bitch. Um, but in the meantime, we'll see you around. See you later. Beans, take it away.
Das Violin. Du, 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 du. Du, 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 du,